Josh Neighbors from the Locked On Nationals podcast here today, brought to you always by Built Bar, the best tasting, best for you sports performance bar in the game, pre-workout, post-workout, nothing beats a Built Bar. On the show today, it is Mason McRae of Prospects 365. We break down the Austin Martin versus Spencer Torkelson debate. We look at some of the best prospects according to his war room that he has at Prospects 365, and also... Who should the Nationals take with the 22nd pick in the 2020 MLB Draft? All that and much more coming up here on the show today. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nats have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick! With a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here from the Locked On Nationals podcast. Joining me today, Mason McRae of Prospects 365. We've done a lot of draft content this week. We're going to keep it up. Um... And Mason, over at Prospects 365, you've got something very interesting called the, the War Room. It's basically, uh, it's a spreadsheet, but I mean, it's much more than that. And you've got a list of uh, top draft prospects for this 2020 season. Um, how did you get, how did this come together? Uh, how did you, you know, when did this start and what goes into it? Well, a lot goes into it, and I started it basically a year ago, actually, May 30th last year, right before the 2019 draft happened, was right when I opened up the spreadsheet, kind of to dive into the Torkelson uh, film. That's probably the one player that appealed to me the most going into it. So that was uh, the biggest uh, draw into this year's class. And then, obviously, uh, Emerson Hancock, I heard a lot about him from a friend, actually, Midway through last year, he brought him up to me and how he was up to 98 uh, earlier on in the season. So that was probably the two guys that drew me in. And uh, when it comes to the war room, most of the video comes from either Perfect Games profile pages, which has uh, it's filled with plenty of showcase BP rounds, etc. cetera. Uh, it's not the best for in-game uh, stuff. That's You got to kind of dive on your own for that. But with the college guys, those are the easier ones because I have Synergy, a database that has every single college pitch since I want to say 2017. It's got Division One, Division Two. Not all uh, the Division Two games are on it, but uh, most. Uh, Sinjikano, McLennan, you know, the top JUCO programs are on there. So it makes it really easy. So, for example, Torkelson. I've probably watched every pitch from this season that Torkelson has seen at least once, I want to say twice. I've seen all of his home runs like 50 times on just repeat. So uh, that's probably been the most useful thing is synergy. 
the one thing I wish it did have was TrackMan data, which it uh, it doesn't have. It just has velocity, so you kind of have to dive on your own for TrackMan numbers, which is something uh, I said yesterday on Prospects 365's podcast. It's kind of lackluster, all the advanced numbers. They've come out of late, like Division One Baseball. They've uh, done, like, prospect comparisons, like Mayer versus Detmers, I want to say, and Lacey versus Hancock. They did a Torkelson one, I, I think, against – Kerstead too they showed some bat metrics that I want to add in because those are some of the more important numbers I think as uh, everybody kind of gets more intelligent learns more about the the metrics that matter and kind of ignore the the stuff that uh, you can't really control so I mean that's really there's a lot that goes into the war room but uh, mostly synergy is the biggest help it's interesting. The industry around college baseball has, has really changed, I think, recently. I, I mean, it's, you still try to go back and you, you try to watch a lot of these games. And not, I mean, there's not a ton of footage available, right? You, you think about the, the SEC network contract with um, obviously ESPN and the, S, and the SEC has done wonders, I think, for a lot of us just wanting to go back and watch some of these guys. Because, you know, before, I guess when even, you know, when I was – in my teens, I mean, you could really only see college baseball games if it was the one, you know, regional game each week on a Saturday or on ESPN2 on Saturdays and Sundays. You might be able to get a college baseball game on ESPNU as well. But it just feels like to me the, you know, and still feels like sometimes we don't have a complete, you know, um, unless you're really in the industry of scouting, your yeah. ability to kind of look at these guys and see them, it's so far behind sports like basketball and football and um you know even hockey to some extent I I would say too you know just because the people who are involved with hockey are are very good about kind of getting that stuff out there so um you know have you seen this industry change just recently as of late I mean it still feels like there's a lot of holes in it too like it still feels like if you're trying to do some work on these high school guys unless you've got access to some of the scouts or you know you can talk to people who have seen them it's going to be really hard to get looks at them yeah uh it's i mean like spencer torkelson is probably the best college hitter college prospect we've seen since chris bryant i want to say that's kind of a, a recency bias maybe to my extent because i haven't seen i never saw chris bryant of college but uh, uh the fact that torkelson is probably the best prospect we've seen and most of the internet has no clue who he is it's kind of a disservice to him just how good he is and how good he's been for so long at Arizona state. So it's kind of sad to see guys like him not get the credit they deserve. And uh, with regards to the, the industry where it is, it's, yeah, it's kind of, if you have to have access, I feel like I got lucky. Uh, I knew some people that were around uh, this summer with some of the top high school guys. So I got some help with that. Uh, Some like, uh, I believe I was the first public person to have a uh, first-round grade on Soderstrom. Like, I know Fangraphs didn't even have him in their top 300 in, in June-ish, and I had him, I want to say, as high as, like, fifth on my board, which was uh, just because of how little people I had. But uh, I really loved him. He's kind of my uh, one of my favorite prospects. We'd like to thank Built Bar for their support of the Locked On Nationals podcast. Built Bars are the best-tasting, best-for-you sports performance bar in the game. You can order them at BuiltBar.com. We have a special deal going on right now. If you use the code LOCKEDON, you get $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. 
16 flavors, all of them have chocolate, eight with nut, eight without nut, um, and all of them are very good. They also, they've got the Built Boost as well, too. Packed with vitamins, it's like a, one of those mixes that you put in your drinks. It tastes delicious, adds to the Power Bars, and they're really good for pre-workout, post-workout. I've been using them for the last month or so, and feel like I am you know, replenishing after workouts, getting the boost I need if I have it for breakfast and then work out an hour or so later. I'm really liking the results. So right now, you can go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. The Locked On Nationals podcast, I'd like to thank Postmates for their support of the show. If you're like me, you're thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. It's even better right now during these trying times. You can get contactless delivery. A special deal right now, if you guys go and download the Postmates app on Android or iOS, use the code LOCKEDON, you'll get $100 off of free delivery for the first seven days you use it. So basically for the first seven days, you're not going to be paying any fees in delivery fees, $100 off delivery fees in the first seven days. Also, you can get things from Walgreens or 7-Eleven. So you need hand sanitizer, um, toothpaste, toilet paper, all of those things, the essentials, they'll, t- they'll get them for you. They'll drop them off right at your door. And for the first seven days, your delivery is going to be paid for. Once again, download the app on Android or iOS Use the code Locked On and get $100 off of delivery for the first week. Uh, so kind of getting into this conversation, and, and, the, and I talked to RJ Anderson of CBS Sports earlier, earlier this week. Um, Austin Martin and Spencer Torkelson at the top. I mean, Torkelson's the guy that, you know, everybody's heard about. He's, he's really is the, the, peop, the one people talk about. But you're the second person I've talked to who's got Austin Martin listed as number one on their board. RJ Anderson did the same thing. The conversation about whether we're having two separate talks, right? Who is the better prospect and who's going to go number one? Because it feels like Torkelson's going to be the guy going number one, but it yeah. feels like the more people I talk to, the more that Austin Martin seems to be the guy who's getting the nod from um, people in the industry, you know, people who are covering it like us. Well, what can you tell us about that debate, the conversation? How do you see the two guys? Well, uh, obviously, the big difference between the two is positional flexibility. Martin, some people don't think he could play a single premium position on the average or better rate, but I think he could be at least a, a serviceable center fielder, probably like one to five DRS type of guy. Uh, some have quoted his arm to being uh, below average, but uh, when I saw him in center field, he was good. He threw a guy out at third base that tried to tag up on him. Uh, he's, he's kind of a swish army knife on defense. Uh, I don't think he could play third. I think it's likely center field or second base, which are two valuable spots. I mean, of the seven position groups last year, second base was the second worst for OPS, and center field was the fourth worst, which is kind of weird that center field was so low. But uh, I think he could be really valuable from that standpoint. And uh, from Torkelson's side, it's kind of ironic because uh, I'm one of the few people that thinks he could uh, play left field at a serviceable rate, and uh, and I still have him second, which is mostly because of how good uh, Austin Martin is. Uh, off the field-wise, I've heard great things on him, just that he's a gym rat. He loves, uh, he loves being around the game. His teammates love him. He's a leader. He's always working. He's a grinder, and uh, 
Not that Torkelson's not. I haven't heard anything regarding him, but uh, everybody loves Martin with good reasoning. Uh, his numbers are off the charts. But Torkelson, uh, I had him first from, I want to say, right at the end of the summer until about January, and then that's when I've been Martin first since. I've had Martin first from May uh, from May now till uh, January. But prior to having Torkelson first, I had Hancock first for a good extent of time. So it's kind of been jumping back and forth, but everyone's held it for a while. And Torkelson, I feel like, is the safest prospect you'll get in the class. Uh, his power is just – I mean, we all know about his, his numbers. I don't think anybody wants to hear about how good Torkelson is offensively. But uh, if you want to be safe at pick one, with the and the Tigers probably should be with their history of uh, development – I think Torkelson's just the obvious pick from that standpoint. Plus, I don't want them to mess up Austin Martin. Okay, so what constitutes – I'll ask you this question. It's a, bit, it's a bit more difficult. What constitutes safe? Because as – so I went to the – and I'll say this again. I went to the University of Missouri, so I got I, – I paid a bit more closer attention to SEC baseball, and I got to see Austin Martin play. And his numbers against Southeastern Conference pitching, against SEC opponents – in the consistency with which he had them, I would constitute those things as safe, right? Yeah. So, and I understand the question, I guess the positional flexibility is where you'd say you could call it unsafe. But yeah. to me, when you talk about like, this guy's just going to be able to rake, like I, like I, it's like, he's going to rake. It's just probably, it's going to happen. There's a really good chance barring some unforeseen disaster. And he ends up like, you know, Markel Fultz of the of Sixers, just forgetting how to shoot jump shots. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a good hitter. To me, that's safe. To me, Torgelson is safe from the – he defines upside as what we think – like, we think about upside and, like, that guy walks a lot. Right. right. He can take a Yeah. So what do you think is safe? What, like, like, what, like, what defines – like, when you say Torgelson's a bit more safe, like, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, for, usually it's a college prospect, right, because you've seen them against higher-level pitching. And scouts have said that uh, SEC, ACC – some to, to some extent, the Pac-12 yeah. is the equivalent of high-A pitching. So you're already seeing Torkelson face high-level A pitching, which is something – J.J. Bladé went straight to high-A last year, and he kind of struggled, which was weird given how good he was last year. But uh, with regard – to answer your question about being safe, I just – I don't know how he could bust. I feel like he has a negative one million bust percent. It's uh, – if he – if he flares out, it would be probably one of the most catastrophic failures of a developmental system if the Tigers somehow messed him up. But, uh, yeah, like I said, he's the safest prospect in the class. What he's done against some of the best pitching in the country is uh, undeniable. So when the when the time, it comes time for the draft here in, in next month, uh, and the Tigers are on the clock. You do believe it's going to be Torkelson? From what I've heard, yeah, I wouldn't take Torkelson. I'd take Martin with, from my own opinion. But I think it's going to be Torkelson. There's been some Lacey uh, rumblings of late that they underslot him. I'm pretty sure Lacey has a uh, kind of low-market uh, agent too. So he could be uh, trying to get a big flash and go first overall. Torkelson's got Boris, so you know he's shooting for the stars. <laughs> Exactly right. Um, so I'll, I'll get to the pitching now. This is one thing I've been super curious about because 
to me, as you're seeing both those, after seeing Lacey and and Cockpitch, in in my opinion, those are the, those are the two. I think they they set themselves a bit apart from Meyer. Uh, I think it's pretty. Cl- I like Lacey more. I just think from I I do I, for some reason. There's something about Hancock when I watch him pitch. I just feel like he's gettable. Um, and this is coming from somebody that they you know even against my own team struck out eleven guys. But uh, and he's and. And his stuff to me is not as good as, as as Lacey's can be. I I just watch Lacey pitch, and there's just something about. I mean, maybe it's the competitiveness, maybe it's the fire, just because you can just tell the guy is. I mean, dripping with confidence. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more captivating, I guess you could say, when when Lacey's on the mound, and he just feels a bit more. Um, well, Hancock does is in control many times. Yes. Lacey just kind of radiates this confidence of, like, he is a star. I mean, ever since he's stepped foot on College Station, he has been electric. He's had three straight sub-two ERA seasons, and this year he had a sub-one, he had a sub-one whip. He was absolutely dominant. Of the pitchers in the country, I don't think anybody had a better season than him. You could say Bryce Jarvis. You could say Landon Knock. You could say uh, Logan Hoffman, a short Canadian guy that I got to see. But uh, (laughs) – I don't. I mean, Hancock's spring just didn't hurt him or didn't help him whatsoever. And I think uh, I just I feel like it's prospect fatigue with him. We've known about Hancock for so long. We've known about Lacey, obviously. What he did, he was great for the U.S. this summer. And Hancock kind of sat out this summer because of arm soreness problems, which is uh, part of the reason people have kind of started to drop him on their boards because of that. And to what you said about uh kind of his he does he lacks bat missing stuff I do agree in an extent he doesn't really miss bats especially with his fastball and Lacey I mean Lacey that's all his fastball does is miss bats he's his fastball just lives up in the zone and it's kind of hard to get hits off of him he's kind of got a uh, deceptive delivery really hides the ball well too which just plays into his fastball that rides up to 98 it's just he really has it all yeah, he's sick. I mean, it's you watch him; his, his stuff is sick, and it's ridiculous. And you can tell, like, you can just tell how much better he got during the off season. Because um, yeah. things were a bit rough. I mean, there are times where it was rough, and it, it is going to be against SEC lineups. But he was, <laughs> boy, was he sick to start off the season. You kind of wanted to see, um, you kind of wanted to see where it would go. It, to you, it, when the first ten picks, um, what do you find to be kind of the most interesting situation, biggest question mark in your mind? A team, maybe you're like, I've got no idea where they're going to go. The pick, I have no idea what's going on. That I wish I did is four, because that's likely going to be Gonzalez or Hancock. And whoever, that's going to play into the Jays pick, because that's going to lead into if the Jays go with Dean, they go with Hancock, or they go with Gonzalez, obviously, one of the two guys that Kansas City doesn't take. I think the most interesting picks are going to be six, seven, and eight in that order. Because six is the turning over of the top five, is what it seems to be right now. Lacey, Hancock, Martin, Torkelson, and Gonzalez. So six is likely going to be kind of the, the next tier, which is mean, which likely means we're going to see some underslot options pop up. Not necessarily they will go underslot, but we could. And uh, there's some prep guys that have come up in seven and eight. And uh, there's a good shot we see three prep outfielders go six, seven, and eight. I'm not going to say their names because I have a mock draft coming out soon. There you go. But uh, I think most people can uh, can guess who those three prep outfielders would be. 
with the the leader of the three being Zach Veen, who very well could go as early as four to Kansas City. Though it does sound like uh, like Dayton Moore and his staff doesn't seem to be very uh, interested in him. Though uh, I, I can't say that for sure. Uh, all right, and then I'll get a little bit specific with you here with the Washington Nationals. Uh, they are drafting in their early 20s, and um, a lot of this, yeah, their pick could depend on on who falls to them. But what kind of player, what kind of prospects, you know, give me some names of guys that they should be looking to get um, in that spot. I think uh, that's going to be a spot where they basically just take the best college pitcher on the board available. Last year they took Rutledge, who was kind of a uh, – Kind of a, a youthful college arm who's been really good for San Jacinto. And then the year before, they took Mason Denberg, I believe, right? The prep arm, or was that in 2017? Um, well, I just did the, the prospect preview. Uh, keep going. I'll, I will get it for you. <laughs> I believe Denberg was their 18th selection in the first, the prep arm. So they've kind of gone arms already of late. So there's a sh- I, I haven't heard uh, Abel, Bitsko, or uh, Kelly really going to them, but. Uh, Bitsko kind of makes some sense to some degree because he could really fall and uh, he's got some advanced pitched ability. I think he might be the most advanced arm in the entire 2020 uh, prep class from this year. So that would be somewhat interesting. His signability would be tough for the nationals, but uh, someone like Carmen Melodzinski, sorry if I said his name wrong, is someone I would kind of be keeping an eye on if you're a nationals fan at, at their spot what are they 22nd 23rd 22nd 22nd okay so yeah someone a college pitcher like Milonski uh I feel like I've heard uh like Bryce Jarvis come up in that area too who's someone that had a really good spring like I just mentioned in the realm of Lacey but uh yeah some college arm that could be an underslot spot I feel like I haven't heard college hitters in that area really but uh like uh, Someone like Hassel, if they were on the board, I don't see how you could pass up on them. I don't think Hassel makes it out of the top 10, so that would be a really good get for them. But uh, I would say someone like Milonski or Cole Wilcox would be someone I would be uh, watching on. Yeah, they've done, the Nationals have done a pretty good job. They always have of developing pitching and getting those guys to the next level. And I think they've kind of taken a volume approach of just getting enough really quality arms to the point where somebody is going to pan out, which like, you see teams do this at receiver all the time in the NFL. If you draft enough receivers, eventually some of them are going to be able to good, you know, be good and catch some footballs for you and you know, help out uh, your rotation. And, um, that seems to be the plan, and so I, I would kind of agree with you. And also, too, you know, rebuild the bullpen as well because obviously their bullpen is uh, notoriously awful. Um, them winning the World Series last year in spite of it. So, yeah, uh, I understand. Um, it's, good. It, it's weird, though. I mean, what is – Last question for you. What's going to be the biggest change, obviously, besides the number of picks, the obvious here, but what do you think this draft is going to look like compared to past years, considering how much shorter it's going to be? Well, like everybody has said, there's going to be plenty of guys going back to school, not just college players, like uh, like around three to five talents that will go back to school, but uh, you're going to see a lot of high schoolers go back. Like I just mentioned, Nick Bidsko's signability is a real strong possibility of pushing him back to, or sorry, not back to, to UVA on campus so he could join Nate Savino. Some, a lot of high schoolers you assume are going to are gonna drop uh, Pete Crow Armstrong just because he's a Vanderbilt commit, and he hasn't really gotten top 10 buzz as someone that could fall. He seems to be a, a late teens type of pick, though, based on what I've heard. 
But uh, like I just said, high schoolers are going to fall. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Matt Allens of last year. Teams kind of going all out for third, second round picks and kind of just punting the fourth and fifth round picks on guys that will take cost-effective deals. So uh, I, off my top of the head, I can't really think of any guys except for Bitsko that could fall to the third. Dylan Cruz is someone I've heard that uh, very well could go in the first to do the Dodgers or very well just as likely could fall to the third round and be kind of a two mil, 2.5 mil type slot or not slot deal, but an overslot deal. A lot of prep outfielders could fall. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say Halpin would be a falling candidate, but he's been, I feel like, I feel like pipeline has him like 45th on their board. So a uh, third round for him would be kind of a, a late slate. He's a Texas commit too. Any chance you have to sign somebody away from Texas, I would love just uh, their their track record of draft picks is uh, kind of scary. Right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, someone like Jared Kelly, Jared Jones, those are two Texas commits. Actually, Jared Jones is someone that could very well literally be a Matt Allen. I believe they're both 6'2", six, six 185, and both of them are just athletic guys with two pitches that are above average or better. Matt Allen was like a top 15 talent and fell to the third and the Mets kind of threw their entire board at him. And then they took a Mangum in the fourth round to kind of help save some money. So someone like Jared Jones could fall. He's an athletic kid. Uh, that would be someone I'd like the Jays to pick up. Uh, he'd be a fun developmental uh, ball of clay, but uh, I, you know, Marcus Stroman, they developed. He's, I, I'm not comparing him to Stroman, but he's athletic like him. He has a delivery like him where he kind of messes with hitters with his lower half and kind of does a shimmy. So uh, Kelly, Jones, Halpin, Cruz, uh, Bitsko. There's five guys that could fall. Alejandro Rosario is another guy that could fall. Uh, so there's six guys that could likely fall to the, the second, third round because of uh, just money not being available for everybody. All right, Mason, where can they find you on uh, social media? Mason underscore McCray, but mostly at a prospects three six five. If you want to see some draft content, my uh, my mock draft, my next one, probably my last one, should be coming out right at the end of May, beginning of June. Kind of put all the final pieces together. All right, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Have a good one.